Section 12 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marissa Sheldon. Antonia by Georges Sand. Translated by Georges Burnham Eves. Section 12. What analogous process was taking place in the lovely countess's heart and senses? It is certain that at the sight of that wonderfully beautiful young man, of a type of beauty wherein nobility of outline was surpassed only by intelligence of expression, she had a sort of instinctive feeling of respect, for he was not really a stranger to her. She knew the whole story of his upright, noble labor, his persistence in working earnestly and regularly, his filial love, his generous aspirations, the esteem and affection which he deserved and which nobody who knew him could deny him. It may be that she had sometimes been curious to see him, but if so, she had forbidden herself to give way to curiosity, whether because it seemed childish to her or because she had a vague presentiment of some danger to herself. Let us not attempt to dissect her feelings farther. She was apparently all ready for the invasion of the sentiment which was to decide her fate. She received a terrible shock. The confusion which paralyzed Julien took complete possession of her, and for a moment she was as silent and motionless as he. If anyone had seen that beautiful couple, fashioned by the hands of God, in some region inaccessible to social prejudices, coming together under the natural and awe-inspiring conditions of the all-governing logic, he would have said unhesitatingly that logic, born of God, had made that magnificent man for that fascinating woman, and that sensible, genuine woman for that high-spirited and earnest man. All was charm and gentleness in Julie's grace, all was passion and unselfishness in Julien's beauty. As at last their glances met in the bright radiance of that May sun, redolent with the fragrance of nature's new light, each one uttered mentally, as it were an outcry of irresistible love, the names which chance had given them, Julie, Julien, as if they were destined to have but one name between them. Thus it required a mighty effort of will for them to remember the distance that separated them socially. Of course, it is the young painter, thought Julie. I fancied for a moment that I saw a demigod. Alas, said Julien to himself, it is the grand dame. I fancied for a moment that I saw half of myself. She bowed first and asked him if he were Monsieur Julien Thierry. He bowed to the ground as he said with a hypocritical expression of doubt, Madame la Comtesse d'Estrelle. What trifling! As if they had any occasion to ask questions before taking possession of each other. Is Madame your mother out? No, Madame, I will call her. And he did not stir. His feet seemed to be nailed to the floor. She is with my cousin, Marcel Thierry, he added. Shall I tell him to come down and receive his orders? Do not call anybody. I will go up if you will show me the way. But stay she added, seeing that Julien was incapable of moving. Perhaps it will be well to notify Madame your mother. I did not see her yesterday. Perhaps she is not well? She is a little indisposed, said Julien. Then, yes, you must prepare for a pleasant surprise, thank God, which might, however, give her too great a shock. 
Tell her gently that I bring great and good news from Monsieur Antoine Thierry in relation to the house at Sèvres. Julien could not, nor did not, think that he should resist the desire to thank Madame d'Estrelle. As he had recovered his presence of mind to some extent, he blessed her for what she was doing for his mother, in terms so overflowing with emotion and delicacy of sentiment that she was profoundly touched, but not surprised. With such a nature as his, and such an irresistible face, Julien could not express himself otherwise. Thereupon the ice was broken, and all the rigid rules of etiquette were forgotten, as if distrust would have been a mutual insult, and they talked for a moment with an extraordinary absence of constraint. "'I am overjoyed to have been of assistance to your mother,' said Julie. "'As you must know, she cannot have failed to tell you how dearly I love her.' "'You are quite right to love her. You will never repent it. Her heart is worthy of yours.' I should be very glad if I could say that my heart is worthy of her confidence. Oh, she has told me about you. You adore her, I know, and God will bless you for that boundless filial love. He blesses me already, since it is you who say so. And I do say so with all my heart. Why should I not say so to you? There are so few persons whom one can esteem without reserve. There are some whose esteem is so great a blessing that, in order to obtain it, one would accept the hatred and contempt of all the rest of mankind. Oh, that is a mere politeness. You do not know me well enough. I know you, madame, by your acts of kindness, by the nobleness and delicacy of your heart. One must needs be deaf not to know you, blind not to understand you. And the calling down of one more blessing on your head cannot surprise you, provided that it be done humbly by one forever prostrate at your feet." Julie felt that the atmosphere she breathed was beginning to glow. She instinctively tried to recover her self-possession, but could not find the necessary courage to run away from that perilous interview. "'Are you also pleased,' she said, "'to recover the house in which you grew up?' "'Pleased for my mo poor mother's sake, oh, yes, madam, but on my own account, no.' "'Are you attached to Paris?' "'No, not at all.' But Julien's glowing, melting eyes said plainly enough what his thoughts were. Julie understood only too well. She tried to change the subject. She looked at the artist's pictures. She praised his talent, which was revealed to her simultaneously with his love. And she thought that she was telling him that she understood his art. But really, it was his passion that she understood, and each word they uttered betrayed the all-absorbing thought that was in their minds. They both suddenly became so confused that they had no idea what they were talking about, and Madame d'Estrelle pounced upon Monsieur Antoine's lily in order to seem to be talking about something. Uh, ah, what a lovely flower, she said, and how sweet it smells. Do you like it? cried Julien. And with the heedless impetuosity of a lover drunk with joy, he broke the stalk of the Antonia Thierry and presented the superb flower to Julie. Julie knew nothing whatever of the affair in which that plant played so important a part. She had not seen Marcel for three days, and as Madame Thierry carefully avoided any mention of Monsieur Antoine's name, nothing had been told her. When she was invited to a christening at the Hôtel de Merci on the following day, she naturally supposed that the subject was the child of some favorite gardener. In short, she was a hundred leagues from imagining that by breaking that stalk, Julien broke off all relations with his uncle, and cast, it might be, 
a whole lifetime of affluence at the feet of his idol. And yet she uttered a cry of surprise and terror when she saw the artist's impulsive act. "'Ah, mon Dieu!' she exclaimed. "'What are you doing? Your model!' "'I have finished,' Julien replied hastily. "'No, you have not finished. I can see that plainly enough.' I can finish without a model. I know it by heart. And as he cast a last glance of mental possession over the lily, yielding for a moment to his love for his art, Julie replaced it on its stalk and held it there, saying with playful and utterly unconscious grace, I will hold it. Finish your work. It will not wither at once. Come, make haste. The painting is so lovely. I should never forgive myself if I were the cause of your giving it up. "'Work away! I insist upon it!' "'You insist?' said the bewildered Julien. And as there was another fresh piece of canvas behind his picture, he drew and painted with furious ardour Madame d'Estrel's shapely and beautiful hand. The lily did not progress. It stood on its stalk to no purpose, while the unconscious Julie held it there waiting until it should droop, never to rise again. "'Oh, Uncle Antoine!' Where were you while such a crime was being committed, fearlessly and remorselessly, under the eye of a drowsing or evil-minded providence? A noise on the stairs recalled Julie to herself. It was Marcel coming down to tell Julien that his mother had agreed to see Monsieur Antoine when he returned to the pavilion. Madame d'Estrel, ashamed to be surprised in that tête-à-tête -tête on such extraordinarily familiar terms with the artist, hurriedly pushed the stalk of the Antonia into the light, moist earth in the pot. The Antonia seemed to have noticed nothing, and preserved its freshness and beauty. Marcel entered and did not discover the catastrophe. The Countess's presence was enough of a surprise for him. She felt exceedingly shamefaced before him, and Julien observed it. He at once, with true manliness, surmounted all emotion, and with imperturbable self-possession, informed Marcel that Madame la Comtesse had just arrived, and wished to speak with his mother. At the same time he brought a chair forward for Julie, as if she had not been seated at all, then left the room to tell Madame Thierry, saluting his visitor with respectful dignity. Madame d'Estrel was infinitely grateful to the artist for this sudden resolution. Even that slight indication showed her that he was no child capable of compromising her by ill-timed ingenuousness, but a man, fully armed and ready to protect her against all the world, to save her at need from the consequences of her own rashness. She loved him altogether for it, but she felt at the same time that he was the master of her destiny, since there was already a secret between them to be concealed from the searching glances of their common friends." While she tried to give Marcel a rapid résumé of their conversation with Monsieur Antoine, Julien entered his mother's room. She saw such a radiant expression on his face that she cried out, "'Mon Dieu! How beautiful your eyes are this morning! What on earth has happened?' "'Madame d'Estrel is downstairs,' said Julien. "'She brings you joy and comfort. She has induced Monsieur Antoine to redeem your dear little cabin. "'Please, come quickly. Put up your hair and come down to thank your good angel.' Madame Thierry, surprised, overjoyed, and at the same time dismayed, for the mother's eye could not be deceived, but saw clearly the restrained passion under Julien's apparent frankness, was so overwhelmed that she burst into tears. "'Well, well,' said Julien, 
"'What does this mean, poor mother? "'You are so stout-hearted in misfortune. "'Can't you endure joy? "'Come, let your hair hang down, "'if you can't put it up, "'and come down just as you are. "'Madame d'Estrois will see you weeping for joy, "'and that will not make her feel hurt, I promise you.' "'Julien, Julien, there is pain blended with my pleasure. "'Yes, and fear, too. "'You are afraid you will have to thank Monsieur Antoine. "'Nonsense, you unforgiving creature. "'That is too childish.' "'Madame Thierry was on the point of swooning. "'Julien almost lost patience with her, "'for her agitation had caused him to lose minutes, seconds, "'which he might have passed with Julie.' Marcel, who was delighted by the good news she had brought, was also vexed by his aunt's delay, and went upstairs to hurry her, so that Julie was left alone in the studio for several moments. End of section 12